So our group was gathered for a dinner during the Rhodes Scholar tour of Enchanting Ireland a few weeks ago, and it was indeed. Sitting across from me at the table is a very bright man whose career had been in the Foreign Service and had interacted with many cultures in his lifetime. He identified as Episcopalian, and so we had conversations around things Episcopal. In the course of our conversation, we turned to questions of how we understand ancient cultures, myths, and stories, and including the biblical cultures, scriptural, and how do we interpret scripture, particularly of healing stories and divine revelations. I honestly don't know whether he was leading me on or not, but he made statements and posed questions that reflect our dominant rationalist and materially oriented culture's skepticism against anything that proposed spiritual healing or a spirit-given wisdom or guidance. He expressed the view that these were ignorant, irrational people who used supernatural stories to further their intentions. His perspective was that the stories we get from biblical sources have little historical validity, must be interpreted primarily as metaphoric, and often do not reflect the reality of the situations. But he also seemed to open up over the course of our conversation to the possibility that there may be more to these ancient cultures and their wisdom and potential for divine connection than fits into typical Western assumptions about reality. I can understand his skepticism, for I deeply appreciate the vast knowledge and the technological advances that science has given us and uh, enlightenment contributions to a sense of a rational structure of understanding. And there are plenty of good reasons to be cautious about ungrounded spiritual beliefs and practices that sometimes can unbalance or exploit people. But over 35 years of work in the field of spiritual guidance and learning about the many ways of prayer and meditation has led me to realize how narrow and constricted, fearful and suspicious our Western viewpoint can be. Is there room in our worldview for an historical character, Paul of Tarsus, to have a vision, vision of the night, that guided his group to respond to God's mission for Macedonia and its people? Could the Lord open the heart of Lydia and move her and her household not only to be baptized, but also to insist on housing Paul and his companions, exercising extreme generosity of hospitality and support. What do we do with John of Patmos, his visions in the book of Revelation? Could angelic beings have been intermediaries to his visions? Are we confronted as well as, are we comforted as well as challenged in this gospel saying from Jesus to his disciples that the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you? 
Does that apply to us too? Is the Holy Spirit continuing to teach us what we need to know in our time? If so, how does this happen? And what is our responsibility in interaction with the Spirit? As a spiritual guide, I'm better at raising questions than supplying answers because ultimately my role is not to give answers as such, but to assist a person in building their own relationship with the divine and discovering their own deep truths that the Spirit wishes to teach them. But spiritual seekers and explorers need to be equipped. They often do better if they're equipped with the tools that are available from the prayer and meditation treasury. Many of these forms of prayer and meditation are from our Christian tradition. It's a rich tradition. But not all those tools come from Christianity. The spirit is not fully contained in any spiritual tradition and has been operative since the beginning of time let alone since the dawning of human awareness or spiritual awareness in humans. There's archaeological evidence that shamans and later priests have been around for 30,000 to 70,000 years, helping us wonder and seek meaning beyond ourselves. Is it not fair to assume that the spirit has been at work with them and their people in their own context. So there's a rich accumulation of wisdom and ways to connect with the divine and the spirit's power to guide people and provide healing and wholeness. In early 2015, while I was working on a draft of my book, Light on the Path, which focused in on spiritual discernment, I started reading about core shamanism a Western approach to shamanism based on the work of anthropologist Michael Harner, who not only underwent his own initiations into the shamanic worlds, but also did a huge exhaustive cross-cultural study of different shamanic cultures and what are universal, near universal, or common modes and understandings in the shamanic world. It intrigued me because I saw some parallels between Harner's descriptions of shamanism and my work in the church in spiritual healing and meditation practices, as well as the communal experiences of encountering the divine through the rites of Holy Eucharist and Holy Baptism. I wondered if the Holy Spirit was preparing me to learn about this form of shamanism. In my discernment, I held that I must be able to continue as a priest and follower of Christ through the Episcopal Church while engaging this fascinating spiritual path. A shamanic practitioner learns how to move at will between ordinary reality and the non-ordinary worlds of spirits. The practitioner develops relationships with compassionate, powerful spirits that help with healing and guidance for individuals, for groups, and for themselves. 
I've undergone training through Harner's Foundation for Shamanic Studies in many modes of shamanic practice and learned, later trained in the work of compassionate depossession with Betty Bergstrom in Seattle. While I was going through the basic and advanced training and beginning my practices in healing and divination work with others, I had a sort of crisis in my understanding of reality. Yeah. I was under contract with my book publisher to write a part of a book in the Little Book of Guidance series explaining the basics of prayer and Christian spirituality. I wrote the publisher asking to be released from my contract because my experience of spiritual reality had so expanded that I needed time to integrate it with my Christian theology and my psychological understandings. That was three years ago. In 1952, an Anglican clergyman and scholar, J.B. Phillips, wrote the classic book, Your God is Too Small. It now seems to me that that title still applies, and I would add that our conventional Western Enlightenment understanding of reality, and sometimes its influence on our Christian understandings, are too small and anemic. Let me give you a little glimpse of a shamanic view of reality informed by my own Christian spirituality. As I mentioned earlier, there is our ordinary experience of reality going on right now. We're all participating in that together. We share it for the most part, uh, this experience. Uh, we have a common consensus of what it looks like. Not everybody is going to be in the same, see things exactly like, like another person. So there's some variance on that. Uh, but we have a general consensus about what it looks like and how we live in it. Now alongside this view of reality, or if you will, another dimension of reality is non-ordinary reality. It's still reality, but it's not our ordinary perceptions or shared consensus. Shamanic practitioners and others enter into this spirit realm of reality often by way of a shift of consciousness. Uh, certain patterns of drumming you know, or rattling or other percussive sounds can help a rhythm, uh, usually a very monotonous rhythm, that can help bring about that shift into what Harner would call a shamanic state of consciousness. Mystics uh, can have deep prayer experiences, trances that shift their awareness to this non-ordinary reality. Uh, fasting, certain dream states, particular plant medicines, and some other methods can help bring someone to this non-ordinary realm of reality. This is the reality where spirits interact with humans. 
influencing them for better or for worse, often unseen in our norm normal, ordinary reality experience, but nevertheless operative. For the shaman, everything is alive, the spirit, rocks, plants, animals, water, trees, everything is alive with spirit and can to some degree be communicated with. There are also non-corporeal spirits that might be envisioned and interacted with. Our ancestors, other deceased humans, angels, dark spirits, saints, mythic gods and heroes, fairies, power or guardian animals uh, are some of these spirits. Certainly, Jesus is one of those powerful, wonderful spirits that can appear in this non-ordinary reality. It's common in shamanic cultures to understand three worlds of reality, each having multiple levels. We live, you and I, right now, we live in the middle world, which has both the ordinary and non-ordinary dimension. Here, spirits can directly interact with us. The middle world where we live is the spiritual battleground as well as the place where God's realm is working and breaking through. There are, it is vast and complex, this world is. It's also the dangerous world. Here we can see the spirit influences bringing on illness, hostility, war, greed, lust for power, exploitation, and the like. There are two other worlds populated by spirits that include compassionate and highly evolved beings that want to aid us in the middle world. I think of these two worlds as the upper and the lower heavens. They're very benevolent places. Although they're usually called the upper and the lower world, but for Christians, we kind of get nervous about a lower world because we typically think of what? Heaven, we think of hell or the place of Hades or that kind of thing. And that's not the understanding in the shamanic worlds. It's a world rather of nature and of nature beings and is benevolent and can give us powerful allies. This is this lower world is often seen as a heavenly realm to indigenous people who have lived close to nature than to. The upper world is more likely what we westernized Christians commonly imagine as heaven. This is where we find our deceased loved ones, saints, angels, archangels, great sages, teachers, as well as mythic figures as well. The upper and lower worlds, in my experience, are permeated with God's love and divine purposes. 
Jesus is my primary guide and counselor in all my activities in whatever world I journey to. He's one that can rule throughout the worlds then too. I experience all these spirit allies as agents of God's divine healing and knowledge and wisdom. Well, that's a brief thumbnail sketch. Some of you may find that what I've said is disturbing or unsettling or maybe just kind of a little bit weird. <laughs> that would be perfectly normal because we live in a world view that would put those things on the edges and say that's not real, it's fantasy. We don't usually look at things this way and so it can challenge some long-held Christian ideas. Others of you might be intrigued or find some of your own experiences confirmed or affirmed in this discussion. The experiences I've described are my own. It's my own vision. Uh, others might see things a little differently. And you have your own perceptions and you might experience things in a way that's different but also maybe similar. Remember that our scriptural testimony is that we do have to deal with spiritual realities. Some of you might want to talk to me more about what I've said and described. I, I welcome those conversations. Please do get in touch with me. What I'd like you to do, though, is how do we is, answer, is, is explore that question again. How do, we, how do we open ourselves to the spirit that Jesus says, the advocate, our advocate, the one who advocates for us and wants to lead us into our truths, into, our, into that which we need to know? Well, we're doing it right now. We're doing it at Eucharist where we receive the bread and the wine and we talk about Christ's real presence coming to us. That as we take in these sacraments, we too are changed. Christ is with us, abides with us. And we become carriers of Christ's spirit in the world around us. Or if any of us are feeling troubled, have a sense of healing needs, the church, as part of its treasury, offers healing prayer. And we have that available to anyone that is seeking God's healing grace in body, mind, or spirit. And there will be someone there in that corner to minister to you, asking for God's healing and helping spirit to come to our need and be present with us, leading us to some wholeness, some healing. Some of us are garden tenders, and we may find that we have this, this relationship with the plants in this garden and the flowers, and that they speak to us in some way. It's not a fantasy. It's not a fantasy. It's their spirit being present to our soul. 
Or we may have a beloved pet, a dog or cat, that, again, ministers deeply to us in the word communion with. That's not fantasy. It's not just an emotional attachment. It's something that runs deeper than that. It's our kinship with other created beings that God places to us and a chance to be able to develop a special relationship. Other of us might find that we engage a tree and take in its depth and its stillness and its wisdom, enduring all kinds of things for ages. And we might find that we're touched by that and changed by that. It's not a fantasy. Lydia had the experience of her heart opened. How many of us at different times have had that experience where we're in a situation and there's a prompting of the Spirit that is telling us, ah, here's a way that I can offer myself, that I can offer my gifts. Are we attentive to that? There are those of you who have been touched by a dream, like Paul in his vision, where all of a sudden something challenges us or invites us, a wisdom is speaking to us, leading us to something new. John of Patmos had the experience of angels leading him to big picture visions. I bet there are people here that have had that expansive vision at times. That something has happened and they see things in a whole new way or see things in a context of God's grace and wonder and beauty beyond their normal seeing. Is Christ drawing you near with such an assurance or such a challenge? Think on this. There are opportunities all around us to do a spiritual journey step by step into a vast, beautiful, a mysterious network of relationships and build friendships with our fellow created beings of many kinds to which we belong, to which we shouldn't be separated because all of them belong to God. All of them are loved and are cared for by our great creator. 